Hello, and welcome to The Stinger, a part of the SB Nation of Podcasts and a product of AtTheHive.com. I am your host, Zachary Brown. I'm a writer at The Hive, and I am joined tonight by the British buzz, James Plowright. James, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. We are recording this lottery night. This has not happened yet, uh, but by the time you are listening to this, we will we will know where the Hornets are picking. So it's an exciting time. So glad to jump on here, though, beforehand, talk a little bit about the, the present and the past in PJ Washington, who... You know, just a couple of years ago, we're sitting here drafting PJ, 11th pick after the draft. Um, now, two years in, I think we've got a really good sample size of PJ Washington time to kind of have a little bit of a, a look back on. For sure. And I just want to dive right in because he's had such an interesting year, James. Trying to change positions in the NBA, it's got to be one of the more difficult things, um, especially when you've played the four all your career. When we first drafted PJ, he was kind of the answer to the forward position for the Hornets. Multiple things have evolved since then, uh, the Hornets roster, but also kind of the way the NBA plays the game of basketball and has kind of forced him into the five position. I try not to read out stats on this uh, podcast, but it's really interesting with a stretch big pushing him into that center position. PJ only stands like 6'7", which is crazy because now our starting point guard is 6'7", LaMelo Ball is 6'7". So, I think LaMelo is um, taller than PJ. I think LaMelo is a legit 6'8", and I think PJ is 6'7". For sure. Well, PJ's got the little uh, afro, you know, he's got the height with the, with the hair, which helps him out, I'm sure, in the, in the center position. Talk to me about what you saw as he evolved into the center position with the Charlotte Hornets. Did you like him there? Did you think that that was a ideal position for him? Yes. I I think firstly, just going back to what you first said, Mm -hmm. playing center in the NBA, you see young players taking much more time to establish themselves in rotation, playing the center position. Like you see these guards and wings, they can come in from day one and then draft and play. Big men, especially in the modern NBA, the game is so advanced for them. Like, I almost think that they have to make more decisions and communicate more than any other position on the floor, especially on the defensive end. And I think that's why you see a lot of, like, rookie big men and second-year, third-year big men kind of really struggle for playing time because it's not just their own game they have to worry about. They have to worry about the whole anchor of the defense. So for, for not only PJ to change position, but to go from playing power forward to center to position he's never played before – which I think is probably the hardest position to play in the NBA. Uh, It's a a real challenge, especially coming off nine months of like no training and no basketball from from the COVID layoff. Um, Your point is well taken. Uh, James Wiseman had struggles this year uh, when they started him at center. He would score like 17 points, but he'd allow defensive positions to go out of whack. You could tell that the Warriors were not going to start him long at the center position. You're 100% right about having a young player at that position. The the defensive responsibilities are are so poignant with P.J. Washington, and you can see that kind of with the off-ball cuts that you have to deal with on defense. I think he struggled with that on the defensive side. It's just hard to play that position, especially when you haven't for most of your career, right? I agree. And look, overall, I was happy with the way that PJ transitioned to the five. 
Um, I thought it might be something that you saw for short spells in games. And for the majority of the year, um, his best minutes came playing at the five, especially offensively, um, where he was able to take advantage of his strength, uh, of his of his quickness, take advantage of his outside shooting against drop coverage bigs. Um, I, I've been on the record saying that, like, for this team, I think PJ's best position is the five. Now, maybe not for PJ overall, but when his other center competitions, Cody Zeller and Bismarck Biombo, like the net rating is way more positive for PJ. It's like plus six at him playing center, minus three him playing power forward. So it's like a nine point general swing in positions there. Um, and I think a word we will use a lot during this podcast about PJ Washington is inconsistency because you watch him in that Indiana game, the playing game. I mean, PJ is just losing track of people absolutely everywhere. Like, uh, you know, people just cutting behind him, past him off inbound plays. It was, you, 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 look, you think this guy's unplayable in the NBA. You catch him on another night and he's rotating well on the ball. He seems engaged. And, and it's not just defensively. The inconsistency is also there on the offensive end as well, but that's what I think is so hard to evaluate PJ Washington because you look at his like overall stat line for the year. It's pretty, I, I think it's pretty similar really to last year. Like he's averaging nearly a point more per game, another rebound, half an assist. Like 39% it, pretty, around 39% for, from the yeah, three point it, line. It's pretty similar, yeah. but actually the year, the years, and this is why it just shows you can't just rely on numbers. His years were so different. Like, his rookie year, he was a power forward. He basically took spot-up three-point shots. This year, he was much more involved in the offense. Um, ball handling, dribble handoffs, played the five. You know, I think one of the reasons you've seen his, his block numbers go up this year is because he was playing more of the five and was in position to block more shots more rather than guarding guys out on the perimeter. Um, and and I liked his, his off-ball defense. It was his on-ball defense mostly that I I generally had an issue with. But I think he did make strides from his rookie year where at times he just looked overmatched and just kind of would just foul people profusely, which his foul rate's gone down a lot this year. I don't think it was the initial plan for him to start that many minutes at center. Cody Zeller had his hand injury for a long time, and I think they were forced into playing that small ball lineup. It's interesting to see the numbers when he played that five position, you know, calling him a center is, is kind of weird because he's a hybrid player, but playing that five position, the team itself really benefited from that. Now, like you say, the people that we're comparing him to is Cody Zeller and Bismack Biombo, who, you know, six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. I don't know if those two players can really start on an NBA team if you're going to compete and go into the playoffs. What I wonder about with P.J. Washington, the difference between the two years, his first year, because he was comfortable in his position, he felt like more of a danger on the offensive end. He could play make from the outside. You know, he has that 38% outside shot, which is awesome. When you're, you're a center and you're waiting for a pass, a lot of times your back is to the basket, which is totally different from being a playmaking offensive star. Do you think he can evolve into the answer for the center position for the Hornets? Um, you know, we, we talk all the time on, on atthehive.com, multiple articles, commenters about, hey, what are they going to do at center? You know, what options are there in free agency? 
Do you think PJ Washington could be that answer? At I think it's seven, which I think, is hard. I, I think it's possible. There's there's a couple key areas he would need to improve, right? And I don't think the franchise and this coaching staff see him as a long-term center for this team, like the, the main center, the starting center. Because I, I asked James Borrego in one of the post-game press conferences, do you think PJ Washington's best position is, is center? And he was very clear in his answer. And I remember this part of the quote, and this is the only part I will quote because the rest of just from memory. He said, for this team, I think it's his best position. You know, talking about the context of this roster. Um, that year. That this year, year right. exactly. I, I think his defensive rebounding would have to improve, right? If he's a starting center, he is like bottom 20% in the league for a big and rebounding. And this team was not a good defensive rebounding team. They got better as the season went on, but his rebounding has to improve. And that's been pretty flat since his his rookie year, really. Um he gives you no real gravity inside for the rim in terms of like a lob, lob threat, finishing in the rim and the roll. I mean, he's one of the worst finishings, finishers at the rim in the NBA for bigs. So teams basically know that, yes, he's a threat from outside, but he's also like, if he wants to drive into the, to the rim or if he's going to dive off a pick and roll, they didn't really have to worry too much about him. Our um, finishers, Cody Zeller too, couldn't finish at the rim. We don't have to yeah. talk about Bismack Biombo because he just couldn't catch the ball anyway. But <laughs> it was so weird that they couldn't finish at the rim. Multiple times, Cody Zeller would have like an open layup or an open tip, and it would just not go in. It was so frustrating during the season. Sorry, you 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 set me off. I was just no, like, man, a, no a, one could absolutely, finish. <laughs> absolutely was. And the other thing, to be a starting player, to be a starting NBA player, you have to have consistency. You see the inconsistent guys become bench players, right? Because they just can't be relied on every night. And I think nothing sums it up better than, look, PJ this year goes for 42 points against the Kings. 42 points, eight rebounds, two assists, two steals, two blocks. And they get the, and they win. You know, great game. Yeah. A few days later, they play the Blazers. They lose. His three, boy, three points, three rebounds. He goes one for eight from the field. One block, zero steals. Like... And that, that is P.J. Washington summed up. He looks incredible for a quarter, for a two-minute spell, for a game. Then he looks terrible for a quarter or two-minute or a game. And it's so hard. Like, c- can he be the starting center? Well, if you give me the Sacramento Kings, P.J. Washington, for 75 80% of the season, sure, yeah. If you give me the Portland P.J. Washington, then no. And I think that inconsistency, it's, it's a common thing for young players. The number of players under the age of 26 with a usage above 18%. And I know you said you don't want to throw out stats, but I'll do it for you here. No, please do. And assist, assist percentage above 12%. So you're looking at someone who has a pretty high usage, pretty high assist ratio for someone who plays the big man position. PJ Washington, the company he was in is Zion, Carl Towns, Sabonis, Randall, Jokic, Giannis, and Bam. Pretty good company. I, I really do think he does a lot of things which are pretty special when you put them together. It's just the obvious things like defensive rebounding and layups, right. <laughs> which he seems to struggle with. Will PJ Washington start for this team next year? I, I don't know right now. Especially if they get a center, right? Because you 
I believe Miles Bridges should start for this team. I, I really do. I, I love his playmaking, and I think that when he's on the court, he really makes a huge difference for this team. If you have a center, if you get some free agent center or if you draft a, a center, I don't see how you can play that center, P.J. Washington and Miles Bridges. You have to have more shooting than that, more consistent shooting and more ways to spread the court. But what your argument that you just made makes me believe you think that P.J. Washington is the is the option for center. Any like hesitation because of the height, because his his weight might not be able to butt up against a Miles Turner or a more traditional center. If James Plowright becomes the czar of basketball operations for the Hornets next year, are you looking for a more traditional option at center? Or do you like the way that you like the growth that you've seen in PJ Washington? I, if I'm the czar, I want to have both. I'm greedy, right? <laughs> so if I want to have that PJ being an option for matchups that I like, but then I want a guy who I can feel comfortable when you play against Sabonis, Towns, you know, Jokic, Bam, who can maybe match up to that level of physicality. Um, so that that's really, if you've been following yeah, any of my stuff on, on At The Hive, and hopefully some listeners have when I've been doing looking at center uh, options, like one of the names I'm throwing around is Daniel Tice. And I just don't see why this team would need Daniel Tice because we've got a better version than PJ Washington. The guys I've all been looking at in my articles and when you attend the, the uh, end of season media availability with Cupcheck and Brago, everything they're talking about is they need size, they need defensive rebounding, and they need rim protection. So all the options I'm looking at, I'm looking at those three key things. You've got to have size, rim protection, defensive rebounding. Um, so I absolutely want PJ to be in the center rotation next year. If, they, if we went into next season with like Noel and PJ, I'd be fine because depending how it goes each night, depending how the season plays out, we can go whichever one is best. Uh, and I do agree. I think, you know, I think his best position, especially offensively, is going to be that center position. Especially because he can spread the court in ways the guys you just mentioned have a hard time doing. Our colleague Chase Whitney has written multiple articles on the pairing of PJ and Miles. Do you think there's any reason to doubt that those two can play together on the same court? It, it's a it's a setup on a podcast that doesn't really happen on the court because you can definitely like take those guys. Maybe they can start together, but then have minutes apart from each other and kind of figure out the rotation in that way. If you bring in your dream center, do you think that those two could play together? I think it's possible because I think they can both spread the court in different ways, especially because Miles Bridges has become such a dynamic playmaker. Um, on the court, I see no problem with it. I, I think they have a good connection with each other. I think we've seen it this year. They've shared the court and been able to play well together. My concern is probably more on the cap side of things. You know, how much you're going to sure. have to pay to retain Miles Bridges. So he's up for extension this offseason. You're imagining he's getting what? 12 to 18 a year, something in that range. And in Charlotte, it'll be on the high side for sure. Yeah, you've then got PJ coming up the year after. What's he going to get? Probably maybe a similar range. And all of a sudden, you're paying like a combined 30 million a year for two guys who they are different, but do have overlapping skill sets like rebounders, outside shooters, 
I think one of Miles and PJ will probably be coming off the bench next year. And where have you seen a bench player getting paid over $15 million, $15 million a year? And that's been a good decision for a team. I was going to say only in Charlotte, and it was not a good decision. A lot of bench players coming off, you know, Batum, Lord mercy, Batum. Um, however, what I will say is that those forward uh, players who can stretch the floor and make those outside shots, are those not the players that you're looking for in the modern NBA? Like, let's assume that we let one of those two people go. Do not let Miles Bridges go, please. You're looking for a player like P.J. Washington who can hit the outside shot but also come in and hopefully be a rim protector and learn the, those rebounding skills that he needs to learn. You know, we're if, so- if, he proved, if he proved next year that he could like start and play like 80% of his minutes at center um, and he wasn't overmatched and he could rebound, he, the team could rebound effectively with him in the court. I mean, that's the really lucky thing with Lamelo, right? You've got an elite rebounding guard defensively. So you don't necessarily need like the absolute Hoover center to, to kind of gobble up every rebound. Um, but if he can prove next year that he can log heavy time at center, I'd probably be more interested in resigning. I just, if what we saw those flashes from Miles in the last six weeks of the season are real, I just don't think you can pay a huge amount of money for someone to come off the bench. Now, the great thing is you don't need to make the decision now. You get another yep. year's worth of data, right? Sure. Things change so quickly in the NBA. So sure. you don't need to make that decision now. Um, but at, at some point, and I think this is just a general team building thing, fans get very attached to draft picks and in this perfect world, five years time, the Charlotte Hornets will be winning the championship and Grant Rilla and Jalen McDaniels will have roles <laughs> off the bench in the playoffs. And the, the reality of this situation is you look at the Sixers, all those draft picks they had, right? Who's left? Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. All right. the Tony Rotens and, you know, all the process guys like who showed flashes, like they're Michael Carter-Williams is, they're all, yeah. they're all gone and... Not all these players that we drafted over the past three years are going to be here in like two or three years' time. Paul Jermaine Washington Jr. One thing I do want to touch on real quick is the video that him and Miles did for the LaMelo Rookie of the Year. Have you seen this? It's all over Hornets Instagram and stuff like that. You're right. They're probably not going to take us to the to the promised land. Tony Roten isn't on the 76ers anymore. But seeing that kind of stuff excites me and, and makes me feel like they they enjoy playing together, which makes me hope uh, in the fans' brain that they stay together for years and years and years. During yeah. the season, there was a point where Borrego called P.J. Washington out a little bit and said that, he's really found his professionalism in the last few weeks and he's turned a corner, which kind of was sent up a little, you know, sends a few little spidey senses of, oh, well, if he's saying that now, what does that mean he was doing before, right? It's like a really indirect way of saying that PJ maybe wasn't, I don't know if it was like, he looked a bit heavy coming into the season. And look, there'd been a pandemic, like I'm not blaming the guy. Stuff was crazy, Um, But I, I didn't, he didn't start the season well. And, in his end of season media availability, he said, the biggest thing I've learned is maturity, being professional on and off the court. And that's a quote. And I think we might have seen, I think PJ realized he kind of came into the year and he wasn't ready for the season. And I think he had a bit of a steep learning curve 
going forward, I'm hoping that he's turned that corner. He knows what he needs to do. Now, the ceiling is the roof for PJ Washington, as Michael Jordan would say. Love it. That's a great quote. Uh, James, where can people find you at? What's your tag? What's your handle? Uh, At British underscore Buzz on Twitter. Um, That's where I post all the stuff, all of our podcasts with Chase, articles, and at The Hive. At The Hive Live, my favorite Hornets podcast. He is James Plowright. I am Zachary Brown. And this has been The Stinger. Peace out.